Hey everyone, today we're starting our look at uh, Ephesians, and we're going to start in chapter 1, obviously. Um, We're going to be looking specifically at verses 3 to 6, and and what it means for God to predestine us for adoption. Uh, We'll we'll come back to this uh, topic uh, a few times as we go through the first 14 verses, as well as into chapter 2. This was a sermon recorded on the 13th of September, uh, 2020. Uh, Hope you enjoy So Paul's like the master of run-on sentences. Like, if he was writing papers in college or in high school, you'd fail all day long because he's just the master of run-on sentences. And in here, there's not many periods. It's a lot of commas. So we're not going to look at everything. We're basically, again, we're going to focus on verses 3 to 6. But what we'll do first is kind of get into an intro. A couple weeks ago, I talked about friends and the freezer books. And Ephesians, especially the first, verses 3 to 6, uh, even 11 to 14, are, um, we'll all call them freezer verses. We read them, and we don't understand them, and we, don't, we might not like them. So we, we put the book on the shelf, or we put the book in the freezer, and we don't pay attention to it. Because they're hard to understand, and they make us uncomfortable. Ignorance is not bliss. We cannot ignore passages of Scripture, especially... Doctrines of scripture that are talked about openly, frequently, and clearly, as as we see here. So as Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, it is my hope that we do not lean on our own understanding, but trust in God and trust in what he has said. What we have to take as truth is what scripture says as truth, and not what we claim it to be, or what we want it to be. So with that said, let's look at the first part of Ephesians 1. One of the biggest issues that we have as people, as, even as Christians, uh, as you see by the picture, is a square peg in a round hole. And what we do is we take scripture, which I'll say is the red rectangular shape, and we try to fit it into the circle of our lives. And by, by so doing, we cut off the corners. So we take our lives and we try to fit biblical principles and truths into our lives and end up cutting chunks of it out because it doesn't fit rather than the other way around. In this picture, the Bible should be the the circle, and our lives would be the rectangle, and our lives have to fit into Scripture, to fit into biblical principles and biblical truths. It's painful when you get chunks taken off of you, but that's the Christian life. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the will of God, Just the first chunk. We're going to look at what God has done, how God has done it, why God has done it, and then what it means for us. Basically, the first four, we're just painting a picture. Paul is painting a picture here in Ephesians 1 saying, this is what God has done. This is how God has done it. This is why God has done it. And then this is what it means. So we'll spend um, some time going going through all of this, not, not really looking at each one with a lot of time, but we'll basically paint a picture. The first thing is the will of God. Paul, as we see in verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Not by man's will, not by Paul's choice, not by the disciples' choice. Jesus chose the 12 disciples. Jesus chose 
Paul to be an apostle. So Paul isn't an apostle by the will of man, but by the will of God. You can look at Galatians 1.1 where Paul says basically the same thing. I'm an apostle, not by the will of man, not through man, but by the will of Christ and through Christ. As we see in first, as we, a couple weeks ago when we looked at the spiritual gifts, it's the same principle. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 verse 11 says that our spiritual gifts are given to us by the Spirit according to His purposes and His will. Not according to our own desires, not according to our own design. Our gifts come from God according to His purpose and His will. It says the same thing in, in Romans 12, 3. This is about the will of God. The second little point here is that God is at work despite our best efforts. The entire Old Testament is about a broken people continuously lifted up by God. The two examples I have up here, Exodus 32, God has just taken Israel out of slavery and has brought them into the wilderness and is feeding them and caring for them. Did all the miracles in Egypt to help them get out. And then Moses leaves and they build this golden calf to worship this golden calf. So despite all that God had done, all that they had seen him do, including parting the Red Sea and destroying all the Egyptians who were coming after them, despite all of that, they turned and worshipped an idol. The same thing happens in Judges 2. God takes them into the promised land, out of Egypt, all through the wilderness, years and years in the wilderness, into the promised land, and they turn and worship other gods. And God saves them. All the prophets, that's what they write about. The whole Old Testament is not about a people who is great, who God just makes his own. The Old Testament is about God continuously saving his people despite their best efforts. That's the will of God. So what we're looking at in Ephesians is what God has done. Verse 3. This is, remember, this is according to God's will. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So what has God done? He has predestined us for adoption. That's what Paul says right here. Verse 5, predestined us for adoption. Predestined is a pretty easy word to understand. It's pre means beforehand, and destined means destiny. God has set up things before the foundation of the world. What has he done? He has chose us in Christ. Predestined us for adoption. Verse 5. Chose us in Christ, verse 4. But how did he choose us in Christ? Before the foundation of the world. Before the earth was created. Before you were born. Before Churchill was a town. Before Canada was a country. Before the universe was created. You were chosen in Christ. Before sin, you were chosen in Christ. That's ridiculous. Think about what that means. 
You didn't get saved because you made a decision or said a prayer or decided for yourself, this is what I'm going to do. That's not what this says. This says quite the opposite. Think about that reality. That your conversion, as much as you have a part in it, as we'll see uh, next Sunday, even though you have a part in it, the reality is you cannot live your life in a bubble. Your decision, your salvation is not living in a bubble. God is at work because he has chosen you. Chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And because he's done that, he has blessed you in Christ. He's predestined you for adoption. Chosen you in Christ. Blessed you in Christ. With every spiritual blessing. Think of that big picture. That's what God has done. Even if we do not understand it, even if it does not make sense to our brains, Scripture says that's what God has done. But how has He done it? How has God done this? Through Christ. And only Christ. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons of through Jesus Christ. So before the foundation of the world, before sin, before Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, before Jesus died on the cross, you were chosen in Christ. And God has done all of this, given us blessings, given us life, given us breath. He has done all of it through Christ. Look how many times he says, even these, the first 14 verses, he had blessed us in Christ. He chose us in Christ. He chose us as sons through Christ. He has blessed us in the beloved, which is Christ. In Christ we have redemption through Christ's blood. And he set forth his purpose in Christ. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. We hope in Christ, and that is our salvation. In Christ, we heard the word of truth. And because of that, and we, because we believed in Christ when we heard that word of truth, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. What that means is apart from Christ, we have nothing. There is nothing. Just as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Paul just echoes that here. Nothing happens apart from Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Before the foundations of the world were laid, God accomplished all of his purposes for us in Christ and through Christ. But he has also done it in love. You see that in verse 4 slash 5, depending on the, on the, on the translation. Um, the New King James, which, which you guys have there, it'll be a bit different. It'll be more like um, before him in love, having predestined us uh, through Christ. But it's in, it's in love. God 
in love, predestined us for adoption. And he did it with, by giving us every spiritual blessing. But why has God done this? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. God has done all of this for his glory. So that our lives would radiate his glory. So that our salvation would radiate his glory. So that our lives point to him. To what he has done. Isaiah 48, as we saw with, with Ezekiel, God saves his people for his sake. We'll go to Isaiah 48 and he says the same thing. 48, 9 to 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. Why should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. First Corinthians, the first, first three chapters of 1 Corinthians are, are, are basically a magnificent gospel presentation. What Paul is, is saying is that God has done this in such a way so that we cannot boast in our salvation. God has saved us and has saved us in such a way that there is no room for boasting. He says, how many of you were wise? How many of you were noble? How many of you were of influence? Not many. You were all weak. You were all poor. You were all broken. God chose the despised things of the world. God chose the foolish people of the world. God chose the weak people of the world to save them. Verse 20, this is 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. He chose things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who is for us the wisdom of God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification and redemption that we have. So that... As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God has worked our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification, so that we cannot boast except in Him. And in our hearts, we know that we're betraying that. When we feel in any way like we are deserving of something. When we feel in any way that God has not had to do everything for us. <clears throat> Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Second, going back to Ephesians 
God has also done it, kind of like a sub sub level, verse four, so that we are so that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Even as He chose us in Him that is in Christ before the foundation of the world, He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So God didn't just choose us and then, and then we get to do whatever we want and run our, run our own separate ways and, and do anything. God chose us for the purpose of being holy and blameless. And those are the two, two of the same things. Remember, holy, the Hebrew word kadosh and the Greek word hegios mean cut apart, set apart. Blameless is more like being right, not, not um, being wrong, not being lawless. Uh, Paul says he was blameless, as in he didn't break the laws but he wasn't holy. So God chose us to be holy and blameless. And holy is to be set apart to God for a purpose. And then blameless is to be um, law-abiding, if we want to say that. We're, we're in the right. He chose us to live by his standards. Not the world's standards. He chose us to be holy and blameless before him. Not before the world. So if we're judging ourselves by the world and judging our rightness by the world, judging our holiness by the world, we're not judging rightly. God has called us to be holy and blameless before Him, standing before Him. It is Him we will face when we stand before the judgment seat. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5. But what does all of this mean? This grand image of God at work Choosing us before the foundation of the world. Choosing us to be holy and blameless before him. Granting us an inheritance. What does it mean? This is where we get into verses 7 to 14. In him that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his Grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, in order to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Think about that image. Before sin, before the foundation of the world, God has a plan. And that plan is to unite all things in Christ. And we are a part of that plan. And he has chosen us before, adopted, predestined for adoption to be sons. In him, verse 11, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Much like the prodigal son, much like the younger son and the older son, we have not yet come into our inheritance. But we've been sealed with the Spirit who is our guarantee. So what does this mean? We look at what God has done. He's chosen us in Christ. He's blessed us in Christ. 
before the foundation of the world. He's done all of these things for us because he loves us. What this means is that when the storms buffet, when the trials come, when affliction batters our hearts and our minds, we can hold to the promises of God and look at what God has done. And we can say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though I lose everything, though I'm afflicted with boils, though I've got COVID and I'm laid up in the hospital, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him because of what he's done. Because I have an inheritance. Not because of what I've done. Not because of what I've said. Not because of what I've clung to in my life. Because of what he's done. We're adopted. We're blessed. Redeemed. Forgiven. These are truths. You don't have to keep coming to church on Sunday to prove these things. You don't have to pray six hours a day to prove these things. They've been accomplished in Christ. Your faith in Christ will prove that they've been accomplished in you. I'll read 1 Peter, and then we'll look at, uh, we'll look at basically four verses, and then we'll finish. 1 Peter is another one of those uh, little, little chunks that are, are just mind-melding. Mind um, you, you have to read it and then think about it. I'll just read three verses. Peter starts off the same way as Paul does. Blessed be God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 3? You must be born again. In order to see the kingdom, in order to understand the kingdom, in order to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time God has caused you to be born again through the resurrection of Christ to an inheritance that is what imperishable it doesn't perish it doesn't fade away it doesn't rust it is undefiled which means it's clean it can't be stained it can't be spoiled it can't be corrupted or polluted it is unfading your inheritance that has been given you in Christ is imperishable undefiled and unfading you have not come into it yet it's kept in heaven for you. For you, who by God's power are being guarded. Not by your works, not by your faith, not by your prayers. You are being guarded by God's power. Through the faith that you have in His promises. In what? 
He has done. That salvation will be revealed in the last time. What God has done gives us hope, gives us peace, gives us security. What God has done allows us to live in a broken world. When our lives are messy, it is doctrine, it's theology, it's truth that is the balm on our wounds, the balm on our, our troubled and toiled soul. It is truth. Not things that we can do, things that we have done. It is holding to truth of God's word and what he has said because he's done it. John 10, if you're familiar with John 10, that's where uh, Jesus is one of his I am's. He says, I am the good shepherd. Again, I'll just read three verses. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What's the con let me let me look at the context just briefly. If you are the this is the Jews talking to Jesus. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I have told you, I have told you, I am the Christ, and I have made it plain. But you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There we go. Think about that reality. Think about that security. That peace. What does Paul say? I won't read it, but what does Paul say in Romans 8.28? Most people can quote the first part. And now I can't even think of it. <laughs> All things work together for good to those who love God. But the second part is, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he called, he also justified. For those he justified, he also glorified. For those he glorified, he also sanctified. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Our hope and our security come from God's promises, come from what he has done. Not from how we measure up, not from how we live our lives. That all comes out of the truth, but our hope and our security come from what God has done in Christ. Predestining us for adoption before the foundation of the world. What is our response? I'll finish with that. Our response is going to be varied. When you think of the words predestined for adoption, our response will be varied. But let's look at Paul's response. Romans 9 and 10 and 11 are just massive theological 
constructs where Paul is just blowing the brains of his readers. And after he talks about all of what God is doing, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that it might be repaid? Who of us has given God our faith, our righteousness, so that he repays us with salvation? No one. From him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our response, when we look at what God has done, is, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. This is assurance. Looking at Christ and saying, in Christ, this is all I have. And that is assurance. Let's pray. Lord, we do not understand. So much in your word um, needs to be revealed to us by your spirit. Lord, all of it, all of it does. But just grant us grace and help us to understand this. We thank you that you have revealed your wisdom to us in this, even just in small ways through your word. Help us to grasp it. Help us to hold to it. Believe it. Live it. All for Jesus, Lord. For his glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Embers in the Dark. I hope it was edifying and that, that it was able to help you grow in the knowledge of the truth. Have a good week.